0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we're talking with Carl Sukahara. He is the chief marketing officer at Optimizely, the world's leading experience optimization platform, where he oversees global marketing and sales. He's got a long career in the Silicon Valley, where he's been CMO and head of product for different companies like Burst and Evolve. Uh, but he's got a background in computer science and electrical engineering. And that's one of the things we talk about, actually, is uh, how we got into this world of marketing uh, and the current role that he has as CMO. And what role uh, his background actually played in that. We also talk a little bit about marketing teams and some of the things that he's learned over the years. But the bulk of our conversation is really about optimization kind of what is it, how is it currently being used? Uh, to drive success and growth organizations and then what's next and uh, carl shares a lot about the personalization opportunity around optimization Uh, he also provides a few different tips uh, for people looking for advice on how to get into the world of optimization in there as well before discussing a little bit about how we can improve generosity so that's what's on tap for you Uh, i hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you thank you thank you as always for listening Hi, Carl. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank Brady. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to talk a little bit about your work at Optimizely and really the world of optimization, particularly about what's next. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about your story. So I saw that you studied electrical engineering and computer science at Cal, but now you're a chief marketer for a product company that's really built for marketers. Like, fill in the gaps. How'd you end up at Optimizely?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I, yeah, I did start up my career in the technology side as a developer. And yeah, um, You know, over time, I went through kind of the sales organization, uh, corporate strategy, and then marketing. And you know, I just found that was a good journey for me. You know, I I love coding, but at some point, I decided I wanted to be a little bit more on the business side and to be a little bit more, you know, broad based in the business. And uh, you know, went through some different companies, spent a bunch of time at places like HP and Oracle, and did uh, five Hmm. or six startups. And here I am at Optimizely.
0: Wow! Do you get a chance to code anymore?
1: Not so much. You know, my son takes some uh, Java programming and, uh, you know, some stuff in high school and uh, I, I don't understand any of it anymore. It's just, you know, it's great to me now. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome.
0: Well, I'm sure that helps in terms of building teams, something that we'll talk about later to actually have at least some background of knowing, you know, the types of work that people that you're managing are doing isn't completely foreign to you. So I'm sure that's useful. Um, so let's talk about optimization because it's a world that obviously you're in and it's a world that we're in as well, more specific to nonprofits, but, uh, maybe real briefly for those that don't know like what optimization is or what Optimizely does, uh, how do you define optimization and,
1: and briefly share about the work of Optimizely? Sure. Uh, how I define optimization is, you know, really being able to provide the right experience to customers or consumers Mm -hmm. or, you know, business customers as well. And the way to do that is through what we call a test and learn process. So with us, you're really able to think about different variations of what a end user might like. And that could take place over a website, a mobile app, you know, if you're a media company over over the top, you know. But anything that's in the digital domain, by applying what we call the scientific method, which is really the closed-loop use of data, to this process, you can actually, you know, really accurately know, which uh, experiences will delight your 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 end clients your end customers or in this case a nonprofit, your potential donors and so it's really just applying that that discipline at scale because the more you can Mm -hmm. empirically know or test what's going to work then when you finally roll it out on a website or a mobile app you know your your users will love it and they'll engage with it and it'll also produce you know, huge improvement in the results you want. So if you want consumers to, in the case of nonprofits that donate more of their time or, you know, uh, charitable donations in terms of money, um, you kind of know in advance that when you roll it out, it'll work. And that's, you know, user behavior is hard to predict these days. So that's, uh, mm. you know, we've made um, really our brand about helping not just nonprofits, but large and small corporations uh, do great at this and really do a good job with, you know, kind of more of a digital first customer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the world of philanthropy, the the user behavior is hard to predict. I feel like it's compounded or it's even extra difficult just because the internal motivation of people when they give is, A, so varied and so deep-seated. It's really hard for people to understand why they even give. Uh, so this is where – I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar in the consumer space, but I know we see that all the time in the philanthropic space of just – how imperative that actually is, because guessing is is really difficult. And it's not, you know, it's not a sound business case or strategy uh, to just guess all the time. So um, can you share a little bit more about maybe how successful companies in particular are using Optimizely or this optimization approach right now for their work? Uh, maybe a good success story or big failure or something like that?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, you think about the, you know, the way I'd like to think about this, Brady, or, or talk about this is <clears throat> think about how, um, the end user um, interfaces with any entity, whether it's a nonprofit or a normal, uh, you know, corporation. Um, you know, and you think about it when you, know, you and I are kind of the end point of this thing. And so, you know, we would learn about an organization or learn about a product. Um, we would want to market to that person. We would want to sell something to that person. We want to create a relationship with them digitally. So, you know, whether that's to do a better job servicing them, but if you think about that whole, you know, interaction chain, it kind of spans marketing. It spans your digital mm. product, you know, if you if you want to think of it that way. It spans mm. how you serve that customer, and so optimization really helps you at various or, or all the phases of that relationship. So, typically, you'll see things like, um, you know, like the Wall Street Journal is a customer. Uh, they improve mm. their conversion rate by sixty or seventy percent by just testing and learning. Okay, here's what a di- potential digital subscriber would like to see. Yeah, the web or the mobile experience so that they really feel comfortable starting a subscription. You know, we we serve big brands like IBM. Um, we serve places like State Farm, really large brands, but also a lot of small and mid-sized companies, too. Hmm. And that includes everything. You know, we talk about nonprofits, but also people who are, I would say, disruptors and trying to hmm. think about, you know, how do I serve this digital customer or digital consumer? And so we really, you know, help the whole food chain uh, and things such as conversion rate optimization. So if I'm running paid search ads, how I kind of make sure that they perform the most people come to a landing page to enroll in something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a product leader, you might think about things like, how do I test pricing? You know, hmm. how do I know how to test pricing online? Um, you know, like StubHub is a customer. How do you test ticket pricing for things like right. that? So there's so many different use cases. and And the best way to think about what we can optimize, you know, Brady, is think about how you and I interact over a digital channel. What do we try Mm -hmm. to do? And we Mm -hmm. try and do all kinds of things and Optimize can usually serve the entirety of that experience.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the the Wall Street Journal there. I was at a conference not that long ago and there was a whole session on basically um, building up a subscriber base. And all the examples were from the shift in media, right? A kind of away from paid advertising to more like membership subscription models. And it was fascinating to see how they've used testing and experimentation to more successfully you know, navigate that to see what's the type of content that people are actually reading before that leads them to subscribe. And what's even the membership offer? Is it news every day? Is it kind of digest emails? And just how they've used experimentation. And Wall Street Journal was one of the examples that they used.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the tricky piece of this, and I think you mentioned this earlier, is it's really hard to guess about how consumers or just normal citizens will behave. You know, and sometimes these journeys might span mobile or they might be on a desktop browser or um, if you have an app, they might be authenticated in an app. And it's very difficult. And you think about the magnitude of interactions and the different channels I mean, we often tell, um, you know, prospective customers and customers just stop the guesswork Mm. because it takes, you know, time and resources for anybody to build and maintain a website, anybody to provide promotions, everybody to do, uh, you know, paid search, uh, you know, there's so many different ways you can try and promote and, you know, kind of keep your customer or your, you know, potential customer engaged. If you think about the multiplicity of options, if you, if you can just stop guessing, and know the answer in advance of deploying it, then it's a huge winner. Yeah. And it helps both commercial brands as well as nonprofits, you know, really get the most bang for their buck. I mean, we've seen cases where people get a hundred X ROI and more. I mean, that sounds crazy. like a crazy number, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, we see those use cases. You know, sometimes you'd think like five to ten percent would be good, mm. but we do see cases hundred times and more. Yeah. And so just it shows you the power of applying this experimentation and scientific method approach. Um, into a digital experience or a series of experiences, the, the the return for anybody can just be phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned, like the the so many different interactions, it can be overwhelming. And I think that's what a lot of people think is like, well, okay, I'm interested in testing. I don't want to do guesswork, but like, oh my gosh, how the heck do I actually start yeah. running a test? And that's where product companies like yours actually have made this pretty stinking simple, actually, to actually do that type of data intelligence, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about like what's next. So that's kind of what optimization is, right? We can better understand customers. We can remove some of the guesswork. We can use kind of, you know, lean methodology, build, measure, learn, and have these compounding. Uh, That's kind of like where we're at, but where do you see kind of either optimizely moving in terms of its product or just the world of optimization? Where where do you see it heading or where is it not being applied to its full
1: potential uh, in your view? Yeah, well, you start to see this, um, I don't know if it's a category of migration or merging of kind of the experimentation, optimization, and the personalization space. Hmm. So I think that's a really, you know, I know personalization to some folks can be creepy, but I think <laughs> um, when we talk to the brands that we serve, and, you know, this includes nonprofits as well as, you know, for-profit organizations, um, generally customers, if you give them something, content that's way more relevant to them, yeah, they don't feel so weird about it. You know, it's like, okay, I, I don't have to like go through 800 different pages of the website. What's served to me is actually what I care about and why I'm engaging with this brand in the first place. So yeah. that to me is like a really interesting thing. And so if you apply kind of at scale personalization, you know, it, it's all, you know, if you look at it from the right lens, which is how do I serve my customer mm, mm-hmm. better, right? Mm-hmm. Period make their experience better, make it more efficient, make it more streamlined, make it more relevant, which is really key. I think if you do that and you kind of team that with uh, experimentation or optimization, you've got something really interesting because here's the reality. If you take a large brand like The Gap or any, you know, just as one use case, the right answer isn't the same for everybody. Yeah, Like, you know, I've got two teenage kids. The way I look at a site like The Gap or any of the clothing brands is much different now than when Mm -hmm. it was 15 years ago when they were toddlers. But when I go to the website, I should see something that's kind of interesting and relevant to my current scenario. And, you know, that's huge value to me because Mm. then I don't have to go to the menu and search for kids or teens or whatever, you know, it just makes everything so much better. So that's one area where I think, you know, the category maturing, I think the other thing is just more expansive use of data. Mm. If you think about this, you know, we are, not the entire food chain of experience, like any, any large brand or, you know, nonprofit for that matter has a large stack of capability and that stack is, is built to serve, you know, your customers through digital channels. So, you know, how do you leverage the data that we have? How do you leverage the data that they have? You know, how do you make that, you know, sometimes there's longer running decisions that aren't point in time decisions. They're longer ones about, you know, customer loyalty and things like that. So, you know, how do you merge that data together so we can really participate with their existing platforms, their existing ecosystem, and it, it helps everybody.
0: Yeah. no, Those are two uh, great points. On the last one, I know in, in the nonprofit space, one of the challenges is often more like the longitudinal impact. Yeah. So we can run an experiment or a test on the front end to see what maybe uh, improves conversion rate or what gets people to give today. But if we're not concerned or tracking more of the downstream value, then we may convince ourselves that this type of Kind Of marketing approach, often offering like physical items or enter to win. You know, if you donate today, you get this kind of win. Uh, that can have a short term boost, but actually decreases happiness and long term value is actually depressed. So The short-term experiment will show you a clear winner, but if we don't stitch together the data that probably exists outside of a testing tool in something like a donor database or a CRM, we may convince ourselves that the strategy, which looks correct, is is actually the wrong strategy about maximizing lifetime value. So you're right, we do need to get better at kind of stitching together different data sources. It's not just about, you know, one tool or or necessarily like one experiment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to, to us, it's about supporting the teams. And So uh, I mentioned earlier, we support the marketing team for sure, um, make it easier for them to do tests on promotions and and campaigns. We support the Mm. product team because they're actually building some of the features into the website or the mobile app. Um, We also support the development team. So how do you kind of test key features you're rolling out so you can kind of do controlled and more agile release of things, Uh, but also the analytics team. You know, Mm. people have, as you mentioned, longitudinal event. Let me see if I can say that properly. (laughs) Longitudinal events that are long running impact issues, right? And that that data comes from different sources inside an organization's, you know, call it stack of technology. It might have to take different uh, third and first party data from different areas to really kind of figure out what really is the longer range impact of some of those things. And you've got teams of analysts, data scientists using their own tools or using Tableau, they're using other things. And Mm -hmm. so how do you really make that a cohesive data infrastructure Um, I think that's one of the keys, actually, is to Hmm. think about this entirety of, you know, if you think about a longer term relationship pipeline over a series of channels, then how do you likewise create, you know, a more interesting and and, uh, loosely coupled data pipeline, too? And so that's really important to us to make sure that we serve, like I said, not just the point in time issue, but some of these other macro issues relative to the customer.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. Uh, that's a good kind of tip or piece of advice, but do you have any other maybe tips or piece of advice for people who are maybe less familiar with optimization and they're just kind of
1: willing to dip their toes in the waters? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. So one of the things we've been focusing on is also not just the product, but how do we serve customers to help them get started, which is really mm-hmm. important. And, and interesting thing of note here is, um, you know, I think folks tend to assume that like the largest brands in, america Mm -hmm. or in the country (laughs) are the most mature but sometimes you get this you know kind of mismatch but you know but we think really about our services entity to help people get started so Hmm. how do you start with the right tests for your use case so we have thousands of customers and millions of experiments so we have a lot of best practices to help them think Mm -hmm. of based on what they're trying to achieve like where do you get started so a lot of best practice there we also have customer success and service entities like if you if you don't have a team to do this we'll do it for you We'll do it for Mm. you to get started. So let's do your first five experiments, get you started. Because one of the key things that we found, um, and this is a little bit about the getting started piece, Brady, is that usually we find that the teams know what challenges are the most pressing for them to attack. And if they Mm. don't, we can bring that ideation in. Once they do some tests, we find Mm. that, you know, often, especially early on, they get pretty substantial output and results. But What that does, it fuels the program because then they can say, Oh my God, look at this thing. Like, you know, I, I give an example. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, fortunate to work with Sky TV over in the UK. And so they did, you know, when they, when we started the relationship it was really kind of with their customer support operation and they ran some tests to help their consumers do some things on the cable box. And some of them literally cut a million pounds out of their cost like really fast and so of course you can take that to your management and say wow look at this this is amazing and so it just helps drive more support for the discipline and then you know how it is inside of any organization big or small there's always a competition for resources and budgets and Mm -hmm. all that stuff and so it really helps the you know the proponents of uh, experimentation really get more uh, attention get more resources and and The other piece we also try to provide is help them with ROI. So Mm. as I'm sure you heard from Sierra Club, they got substantial ROI from doing this in terms of, you know, donor Mm -hmm. volumes and things of that nature, Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of return. And so that just helps fuel the whole thing because, you know, over time, you know, the more testing you do, the more value you get. And that's been proven by, you know, even the biggest companies in the land, people like Netflix and Amazon. So helping people get started, getting those few things under their belt, get some experience, best practices, and then they can scale it up.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Um, the other thing that we will often talk about is, is actually just like – just try one or two experiments and actually don't focus as much on whether it's, it's – statistically significant, whether you got a huge lift, because it's really about the culture of testing, especially with nonprofits that we're really trying to get going. And like you said, more than likely, their first few tests will yield some pretty significant results. But instead of focusing on the result and just focusing on like the, the process side of things, they start unlocking and seeing it for themselves, right? It's just like, wow, this is actually a easy beat super important to my work, and see, like, look at what else we learned. And then they're off and running kind of on their own. It's just that fear, I think, of kind of doing something differently or maybe failing that we have to work hard on on the nonprofit side in particular to kind of help them overcome that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, in in nonprofits, you know, having worked for some myself, you know, sometimes they have – they don't have as many resources. So, you know, I I think what we've been able to show is that what we call a culture of experimentation is super important Mm -hmm. because – um, I think any organization, when you think about new ideas for interacting with customers, that there can be a tendency to question and thrash, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and but if if you take an approach culturally to say, let's just try it, and yeah. because of you know platforms like ours, you can try it in a relatively low risk way, and yeah. so instead of sitting around and debating for days and months, and you know, just trying yeah. to make up some guesswork that would you know try to predict the outcome, just yeah. test it. And that whole cultural thing, I mean, this is kind of the, you know, Jeff Bezos himself talks about this publicly a lot, saying experimentation has been a lot of the keys to Amazon's success because they built this kind of super agile and lean culture to get ideation, democratize that process, now test it. Did it work? How well did it work? Okay, let's test it again or the next iteration or the next set of variations. And really, that's how you get to the outcome. Because that really allows you to speed up and make your business more efficient. Yeah. And it's not, you know, like eight hundred meetings and thrashing for days and months trying to figure out whether or not they should do something. Just test yeah. it. Test it yeah. in a low risk way. Look at what you get. And then you kind of know with extremely high certainty with our platform or other platforms, like, you know, this is gonna work. Let's yeah. roll it out now at scale, not to ten percent of the traffic, but the whole thing. And suddenly, you know, you can start deploying a bunch of winners.
0: Yeah, and it's one of the great ironies in, in the nonprofit space is they're so resource constrained, which is true, but then they kind of like hoard the, the resources or the decision making or have really slow decision making or they don't test things, and it's actually uh, a poor use of resources. It's actually very wasteful. So it's one of the big ironies in nonprofits, where again that culture is such a such a huge piece. Um, well, I want to shift to slightly. Uh, speaking of culture, I've, uh, I saw your CV, and you've worked with tons of different marketing teams. Uh, how have you kind of built a good culture around marketing teams in particular throughout your career? Any any like quick tips or secrets you can
1: share with us? I don't know if there's any like magic formula, Brady, but um, <laughs> there's a couple of things. I mean, I think when you're bringing in a team, I mean, the most important thing is to try and be clear on, you know, how mm-hmm. you want your culture, you know, to align with the company's culture and then kind of recruit people, you know, who kind of share that vision on how you want to operate. And, you know, marketing, as you know, is a highly collaborative function. You have to work not just with yourselves, but with the product management team, with the sales team, you know, you're kind of a little bit of a hub and spoke for certain things in the business. Yeah. But, you know, so, you know, from my perspective, you know, I want people to be collaborative and transparent, kind of consistent with our, our culture at Optimizing. Um, I definitely want people to feel that um, they can own things, right? And mm. so... I tend to want to see if peers can work together to solve problems. If if I'm always coming over the top and having to decide for folks, then we don't really have good chemistry on the team. Yeah, so, right. Well, I was trying to think of that. And, and, you know, there's some other things like philosophically, um, probably because of the engineering background, but other things I do believe that marketing has a lot of science. There's art too, but there's a lot of science. And so hopefully people come in and we try and hire them because they understand that philosophically, like data does matter. And yeah. it's not the ultimate decision maker, but – you don't have a data-driven mentality it's kind of hard to work on my team because we tend to think that way and want to yeah you know, i mean it's kind of our culture as a business too like you know we do think scientific methods are good in
0: <laughs> yeah. using
1: you know data and statistics to, to figure stuff out um, yeah but yeah i mean I, I think it's also the important thing is to um make sure people you know i think with marketers and anybody else when you get in the day-to-day sometimes you get in the weeds right Yeah, and you get in the weeds and you kind of forget like you know wow you know this company, a huge public company just posted their results and they attributed a lot of that to their digital shopping experience being so much better. Hey, guess what? Mm-hmm. That's what we helped them do. Right. Right? Yeah. Or they said, Hey, we got so much greater engagement in our mobile experience and drove more same store sales with our consumers. Hey, that's what we do. Or, you know, yeah. even in the case of a nonprofit, if they can say, Hey, look, look what we did with our donation volume. And that's really helped, you know, to their, you know, uh, advocates, that's what we help them do. And it, it's something to be proud of. And, uh, you know, we, in the nonprofit space, we really try to offer them discounts and things to help them kind of drive that process through. But that, that's just part of our team's, um, structure is how do we make sure that we give people the picture? Yeah.
0: Awesome. No, that's great. Well, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Last, last question we ask, uh, almost everyone who comes on the show, this question, but, uh, how do you think we can grow, improve and optimize generosity?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, some, a lot of it is, is cultural, like, you know, understanding, you know, what your, um, people are, you know, the people that you're trying to attract, what, you know, what do they stand for? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm kind of a believer that causes are super important. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm always looking for ways to promote, um, you know, and find ways to give to key issues. And Mm -hmm. so one of my, um, just personal thing. I mean, you know, I, I'm a huge, Um, proponent of sustainability. And so Mm. I'm always looking for ways to give back around sustainability. And, Mm. you know, and there's other things like my dad was a veteran. So there's always causes. And I think making sure that, um, you know, you can really figure out how to reach those people. And this might be something where you use optimization. If you can figure out how, you know, the profile of, you know, like here's an example, if you've had uh, donors and you can understand what else do they donate to? So you can Mm -hmm. learn a little bit about personalizing that experience for them. Therefore you can probably get a little better engagement because you're kind of aligning your storyline. You know, it's part of optimization is messaging. So Mm -hmm. what's your messaging to kind of key profiles of your donor base. And you know, this is what we try to do by helping them with, you know, better relationships in the nonprofit space, trying to help them out. Yeah. Uh, But really just thinking about that, that's kind of part of the, you know, best practice thing is just understanding how you really um, can work with your audience and therefore you get more engagement because, you know, Physical engagement, I hate to say it, you go to the mall now. and am like, the, you know, be <laughs> pretty sad, but people want to inter- interact in digital. And so how do you think about your messaging, your presentment, you know, the value and, you know, kind of also the inspirational tug, you know, because I think that's super important for people to be yeah. inspired by someone's mission and that drives a lot. But how do you message all that stuff and make sure people can feel and understand your mission as a nonprofit and, and to get them to align with your causes?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point on the messaging and back to that kind of personalization side because so much of the work in in our field in philanthropy has really been about like when did someone give? How much did they give? It's really financial. And so we can do like giving patterns and charts. But very little has actually been done to truly understand why that person made that donation and what they actually care about. And that's way more important as a marketer or a fundraiser to know what they actually care about. So now I can actually create a message. If I know you gave $50 three years ago, I don't really know what message to tell you. I know you gave $50 three years ago. So that, that's a huge area of opportunity and improvement. And you're right. Yeah, it's one of the ways that I think we can really, you know, improve and optimize generosity. So thank you. Thank you for that
1: words and, you know, kind of help figure it out. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Try and figure out what's what's going to really get your um, your folks to engage.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again so much for for taking some time to share more about the world of optimization and the work that you've uh, been doing and the work that you're doing at Optimizely. Um, Where can people find out more about you and your work, Carl?
1: Yeah. I mean, um is there and it not just talks about, um, you know, kind of our business mission, but, you know, we have 90% of our employees that try and give back and do volunteering work. Um, you know, about half the people do some charity work. So it's, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, I think do think people do business with other organizations that try to mm-hmm. do the right thing. Mm-hmm. We definitely try and do the right thing in terms of, you know, social causes, diversity causes, but also on the website, you'll just see kind of how we help, Companies of various ilks you know, drive their optimization and really just, just get closer to their customer over digital. If you had to net this out, that's probably the thing we do, and we do that at scale.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to, to share that out. And uh, we always share Optimizely resources and things like the estimator tool we use in our teaching course on A-B testing and stuff like that. So thank you so much for your work and helping lead the way in this very, very valuable world of optimization. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and thank you, Brady. It's been great talking to you. Um, you know, keep up the great work, and congratulations to you as well. All right, thanks. Have a good day. All right, see ya.
0: Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to The Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search The Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. NextAfter is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.